Today we are launching uh, our series officially with the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. I don't know if you've ever noticed, um, you, you get to know somebody, and uh, maybe it's been your case with me, I'm pretty sure you, I'm, I could be a good example here. And you realize this person's got a couple of quirks. There's a, there's a few things that they do uh, that's like unique to them, you know, and uh, maybe a few things that they, they, uh, they often say where they pronounce some of their words or just where they react to certain uh, things. You just, you just, you can narrow it down to like, yeah, that's, that's like a trait of that particular person. That's what they like. And life goes on, you get to know them and so on. And then, uh, you know, like I said, you might find it odd or, or just unique, but it's their thing. And as time goes on, as you get to know them better, they introduce you to their friends. Then eventually they introduce you to their parents or extended family. And it's like the lights come, go on. You go, oh, now I know why they do that thing. Now I know where they get that little quirk from. Like, you know, sometimes they don't even look like their relatives, but in their mannerisms or just the way they, you just, you can see the connection. You go, yeah, now it totally makes sense. I thought it was unique to them, but clearly this is unique to their family or this is something that runs in their family. trait. That's why. And why am I telling you that story? Well, I think in many ways, this is the opportunity that the book of Genesis gives us. Book of Genesis is a book um, of origins. It's a book of, of, of beginnings. That's what it, the word means, really. Um, and, uh, you know, you even find that in the first few verses, you know, in the beginning. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a sense that when we look at humanity and society around us, that when we read the book of Genesis, particularly the first couple of chapters, we we, 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 we figure it out. we like, oh, there we go. Now I see why there's maybe this brokenness or this problem in society, because we actually can see where it all began. And so, yes, it's the origins of the universe, you know, it tells us uh, uh, how everything came about. Uh, the origins of the, the, the world, planet Earth, as we know it, the origins of humanity, you know, some of the people that are present here at, at the waypoint. It's the, the origins of of evil, you know, of sin, of, of brokenness. And, and so when, for Christians, you and I, uh, this is our worldview. The, you know, when we read this, we make sense of the world through what God has revealed to us, you know, through the scriptures beginning with the book of Genesis. Um, and of course, because it deals with things like creation and, you know, uh, the, it, it's, a, it's a lot of debate. It's a book that has created a lot of fights, but that's why we're doing this series as well is to say, don't get sidetracked with some of those things, as we'll see it, because there's actually there's a main story that it's trying to show us, but, but it touches on some of those things that could often be contentious and debatable. Um, it's also the origins of aspects, not just you know, these material things, but stuff like work, you know, the fact that we find ourselves working, that we rest, you know, it, you know, it, it comes from uh, the beginning of uh, Genesis. Uh, marriage, you know, we see that. Um, uh, worship and, and how it should be. Uh, we see that in the book of Genesis. So it's not just a worldview to make sense of it. We also see in many ways, certainly in the first two chapters, how things ought to be before it perhaps went wrong. We'll, 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 um, we'll see soon also uh, the beginnings of the gospel, uh, which is one of the main reasons for the series. You know, the, the good news that God came to rescue and redeem and fix and save us from the broken, brokenness. And so, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the promise God made to fix it. It's called covenant. We'll look at covenants in particular today. And of course, we'll see the, the origins of nations. But in particular, Genesis shows us the origin of the nation Israel and, and their, their, their backstory. Uh, and so, you know, for believers, yes, it's not just a, a worldview, as I've described, but it's the backstory of Christianity, too. You know, some people will say, oh, Christianity is not that old. You know, it's 2,000 years or whatever. But actually, if you, if you understand the scriptures, you realize that, you know, the backstory of Christianity, is, it's, it's actually a lot um, older. It's technically from the beginning. We are part of the story of God's uh, grand plan to redeem and rescue humanity. And I think, I mean, I might be wrong here, but I know the New Testament quotes Genesis significantly, very likely that it could uh, quote Genesis more than it maybe quotes uh, uh, other books of the Old Testament. Another big one I mentioned last week is Jesus' frequent mentioning 
uh, and referencing to Genesis. You know, he references times, he references places, he references characters uh, and, and the teachings uh, out of Genesis. And so um, uh, that's one of the reasons why it's important to be familiar with it. Um, Moses is the guy that wrote Genesis. Moses is actually responsible for writing the first five books of the Bible. Most, most of it, there's parts in Genesis that he probably didn't write, you know, things like his death and how humble he is. But, uh, uh, sorry, in, 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 in the first five books. But, um, but certainly in, in Genesis, um, we, can, we can with confidence say that these are things Moses penned down uh, for us. And, and uh, the first five books, by the way, is called the Pentateuch. Uh, and of course, we'll look at the first five books in the first five weeks of this series. Um, and, you know, it's divided into 50 chapters. And it spans, you know, roughly around 2,000 years of, of history, you know, give or take a century. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, even as I say these things, and as I kind of, you know, give you a 30,000 foot uh, view of this, I just realized, and as I was preparing for this, I was like, what have, what have I done? <laughs> what have we done, you know? To be able to take, you know, these 50 chapters, these, these, these incredible origin stories, um, and trying to condense it into like a 35-minute, I hope, you know, fingers crossed, especially for the guys in front of me here. Uh, you know, let's, you know, give or take five, ten minutes. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm covering my bases here. But how on earth do you squeeze it into that amount of time? And so let me, let me just stop for a moment give you some resources. Uh, the first one is that we actually did take a deep dive as a church into Genesis 1 to 12 a couple of years ago, 2017, I believe. And it was called the Back to Series. Um, and so the artwork looks like Back to the Future, in case you want to know what it looks like. But that is, uh, that is a series where we took about 15 weeks and just focused on those first 12 chapters of Genesis. So there you can click, double-click on and go a little deeper. Um, we want to make some resources available to you in order for you to read these books or at least have these books read to you. And remember, Dwell, we had them in our announcements. It's an app that we subscribe to uh, as a church that will help you engage with the Scriptures uh, you know, and, uh, and, and we want to encourage you city gators to, to make use of that tool. Of course, it is for city gators. And I know some people are watching online and maybe you're not a part of our church. And I've warned uh, people before, like just to make sure that city gators benefit from this. If we see a name on the list that is not in our community, I might cancel your subscription. Not because I'm uh, not a nice guy, it's because I'm responsible for the sheep that God has given us. And we want to give them that tool, but try, try it out. Dwell. And then the other, another one is the Bible project. Now you might wonder what is this big book? That I've got here uh, on the front of my uh, podium. What do you call this thing? Table. table. Yeah, <laughs> table's probably best, you know. And uh, this is actually a gift that the Bible Project gives uh, those who, uh, you know, commit to giving to their monthly. As a church, we give to this initiative. And they do a great job at um, summarizing um, the, the scriptures, book, book, one book at a time. In fact, much of our artwork here, at the back, we feel confident to use some of those is because we give as a church towards this amazing project. And, uh, and actually, I mean, here we have, for example, the book of Genesis. I don't know if you can see that uh, really well. I'll leave this open in front of me. But this is a great, you know, overview of the main story. And if you go there and you can prepare for the sermon by, by, uh, by watching their videos, it's all for free. Um, and, uh, and even us as, as preachers, you know, we, we lean on... Uh, some of the work they do, outstanding organization in terms of making the Bible alive. They always say the Bible is one unified story about Jesus, and we would agree with that 100%. So have a look at those things. Okay, so yeah, what can you be uh, expecting when you read the, the book of Genesis? There's no way to cover everything, but I'll just throw a few things out there. Maybe it, it piques your interest, you know. Um, you'll, you'll see some patterns and themes uh, you know, beginning in the book of Genesis that m finds itself, you know, crops up not just later in Genesis, but later in the Bible. So it's important to have be familiar with this, because as you discover those things later in the Bible, you can go back to where you heard it first. Things like trees, like what is the significance with trees? We know that in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree, right? Um, and, uh, and rivers. We know that there were gardens, uh, you know, rivers in the Garden of Eden. Later on, when it talks about the temple, some scholars say that the Garden of Eden was a kind of temple because God's presence was there and Adam and Eve could be like priests and rivers flew out of the, uh, flew. Rivers flowed. Uh, there's, a, there's a new one. Uh, let's write that one down. Uh, out of the garden, just like, you know, there's pictures of the temple one day, the rivers, you know, uh, flow out of the temple. Um, I mean, it, it, the fact that we created in God's image, as you read uh, through Genesis, you'll see the word image comes up a lot, you know, um, and so, you know, being in his likeness, um, patterns like opposing brothers. 
you know, it's maybe starting off with Cain and Abel, you know, but then it just keeps going. And Ishmael and, and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And eventually, right at the end, you see Joseph and his brothers. And so, again, it's so important that we read the book of Genesis, what, something I call roulette, roulette reading. You know how it works, you know, roulette's gambling. I don't, I don't know how that works, but, you know, <laughs> it's a joke, by the way. So, you, you know, you throw that little ball into the spinning thing, and then it kind of randomly lands on a number. Like, sometimes we do that with the Bible. You're like, oh, I now I must read my Bible. The roulette reading is like, oh, look where, it, well, look where it fell. And then you read that bit. And if you read the book of Genesis in, in a roulette type of style, with just this here and there, you will actually miss some of these links, some of these patterns, some of these instances. Um, and so, you know, there's no way for us to go through all of that. Um, but I'm going to try and keep it very basic because I think I've left you with some resources where you can take a really deep dive into it. But maybe you're a guest here and we have to do a little bit of summary, a little bit of an overview. And, and, uh, and most scholars break up uh, this book into two big areas, two, two sort of major scenes. The one is Genesis 1 to 11 that deals with uh, a primeval history. And then the other one is Genesis 12 to 50 that actually deals with a family, Abraham in particular, and his children and the blessing through that one family. So it's like God and the, and the world in chapter 1 to 11, and then God and Abraham are, or God and his family, which later becomes the nation of Israel. And of course, in that first 11 chapters, you know, God creates uh, humans rebel and kind of tells the story of a terrible decline. And then, you know, chapter 12 to 50 uh, is actually God wanting to undo and, un and, and renewing the world by beginning with a promise to a guy, Abraham, and, uh, and seeing that through to actually turn this curse that happened in the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, uh, turn this curse around uh, through the story that he fleshes out from 12 to 50. So before we dive into that, I'd love to just start off by just praying, just saying, Lord, help me, uh, you know, because I, I know I can, get, I, get, I can speak at 120 kilometers an hour. And, you know, if the Internet glitches, you might miss a word or two. So help us, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, every single book here and help us to uh, look at Genesis today. And I ask that you would speak to people that the things people need to hear uh, that will come out of my mouth, Lord, that, 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 uh, that you ordained. Lord, may they, may they strike a chord. May they bring about change. Lord, may an appetite in our hearts be created to, to read your word uh, uh, in a different way and to value your word in a different way. Uh, but I ask for you to speak to, and to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, I mean, if you have your Bibles with you, it's pretty easy to turn to Genesis Chapter one, um, and it just starts off by saying, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." In many ways, that's like a creation account on all on its own. You know, you can just stop there and 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 some, you know move on to chapter two if you really want to. It, it, it's amazing how it just starts off without needing to explain that there is a God. The Bible isn't here to sort of prove to people that there's a God, even though I think you could probably use that. It just assumes God, uh, uh, you, you know that that. He's, he's behind it. He just proclaims that. In the beginning, God, and then he creates. And of course, uh, the rest of Genesis 1, there's even Genesis 2. It's, it's, it's kind of like two creation accounts, which is why there's often this debate as to how did God do it. And I want to just say that that's not the point. That's not the point of this. Not how God created, but the fact that God created. Who is more important and why did he create? Those things we can certainly find uh, in these verses that we read together. So make sure that that's the main thing, that you don't get caught up in those other details and actually miss the major point of who and why he made it. And, um, and you know, we, we, we see in Genesis chapter 3 that sin comes and actually flips God's creation order, in a sense, around, okay? Well, some interesting thing that I read this, this week, you know, was, of course, there's God uh, who created the universe and then humans and gave them authority to have, uh, 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 to, 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 um, you know, to steward the creation well and, and including oversight over uh, creation and the, and the animals. And then when you look at the fall, we all, many of us know the story where, you know, Satan in the form of a ser serpent, uh, an animal, uh, actually tempts Eve, you know, who, who then, you know, drags Adam down with and, and it results in the curse. But can you see the reversal of that? If it's God that 
creates humans and give them responsibility over animals. In many ways, what happened in the fall was animals, you know, uh, you know, affecting humans that ultimately breaks its, their relationship with God. And so yet everything got turned upside down in the worst way. Um, Satan sowed doubt. Uh, Adam and Eve said, I want autonomy. Many ways, you know, they freedom. They, they took, used their freedom to the max. They said, we do whatever we want. And it didn't result in freedom. It resulted in bondage, you know. And so there we realize, actually, freedom isn't casting off all restraint. It's having the proper boundaries in place, the ones that God gives us. That's good for us. And when we rebel against that, we don't just ourselves go down when we take other people down with us. And so, of course, that's how it all begins. And then there's just this downward spiral. Very quickly, just, you know, humanity just descends into the worst of the worst. And it starts off with blame shifting between Adam and Eve. You know, the serpent made me do it. No, she made me do it. You know, all of this stuff happening. Um, and, uh, and from there onwards, um, there's violence that we see even in Adam and Eve's kids. You know, Cain and Abel, the first murder there, uh, all the way to polygamy and all sorts of other injustices that we see. Uh, and then right up to Genesis chapter 6, you know, it kind of culminates again where God says uh, some, some, some scary things. You can, you can check it out if you, if you want to. But there's a, there's a, there's, there, God himself is saying that he, he, um, he kind of regrets. He saw the wickedness. This is verse 5. Of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then verse 6. And the Lord regretted. That he made man on earth and it grieved him in his heart. Can you just understand the sorrow and the pain as, 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 uh, as, as God looks at the effects of sin that has come in? And uh, it ends again with a glimmer of hope in verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word favor is also the word grace. And so we, we see, um, you know, although there's this blanket statement that, you know, the whole world is bad. And, and we know that it included Noah <laughs> to some extent because you'll see how Noah behaved. After the flood, okay, he wasn't that, that innocent, but God showed grace and favor. Again, this, this, this amazing thing where God chooses undeserving people to, to accomplish his purposes. There's glimpses of that there. And so, yeah, God, in a sense, starts again. And he saves this one family, Noah, um, uh, after the flood. And it's amazing you're going you're gonna to see that pattern. When you come out of the flood, the flood there's these Eden echoes of, of, the, of what God commissioned to uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, of going out to be fruitful and to multiply. There's a sense that there, there has been a reset and God's like, all right, let's, let's go again, okay? Um, you, you see uh, that those echoes taking place. But of course, as I mentioned, sin is still present because just look at Noah after the flood. Another interesting connection is he finds himself in a tent, drunk, naked, and ashamed. You know, he was, he was, there was a shameful incident with his with his children, his sons. And so again, it's like, a, it's like a copy of Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, after sinning, found themselves naked and ashamed, you know? So, so as you continue to read, you start to make these connections and you start to see these patterns and these things. And so again, because sin isn't done away with entirely, there's still a massive decline. And it culminates in Genesis chapter 11. And that's where the end of that sort of primal history section. And Genesis 11 we say it's the Tower of Babel, but it's actually, you know, about the city, Babel, and a tower inside. It's not necessarily uh, the way it comes to us often in, you know, Bible stories and so on. But um, Babel and its tower is in many ways an anti-commissioning. That first thing that God told Adam and Eve to do. The second time he told Noah to, you know, be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue and to fill the earth. Babel, in many ways, again, is just this humanity fighting against God, saying no uh, and, and, and saying, we will make a name for ourselves, you know, instead of saying, oh, we are here for the glory of God. We are created in God's image. We, you know, it's about his fame. It's like, no, it's about our fame. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a city and let's, let's not do what God told us to do, to be scattered and to fulfill the earth. Let's build the city so that it, it says, so that we may not be dispersed in verse, uh, verse four. Let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're, they're sticking it to the man. They're saying, no, we don't want to do what God asked of us to do. So again, God has to judge. God has to humble them. And, and he does scatter them and he confuses them. And this is where the story really change, changes in Genesis. Uh, uh, you know, it focuses now on a family, as, as, they, as they scattered, 
and it gives us a few names and it ends off, you know, like this, this, this genealogy and descendants of, of people. And it ends off with Abraham. That stage is still spelled A-B-R-A-M. His name gets changed to Abraham later, which is what many of us and who many of us are familiar with. But that's where the story changes. Uh, it, it focuses now in on this one man and his family. Um, Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob. And uh, I would love, love for uh, us to read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And again, I want you to see how it's in direct contrast to what was said in Genesis 11 uh, with Babel and the tower. So verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. This is God saying, not you won't do it. I will do it so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a statement. What a promise. I want, I want us to, to, to focus a little bit on that. But before we do, I, I don't expect you to remember the genealogies, you know, from uh, Adam all the way to Noah, or maybe even from Noah to, to Abraham as a listening. But there is one that I, I think every Christian should be pretty familiar with. And actually, they are listed for us in Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3. Uh, and so if you have your Bible, we're going to fast forward to Matthew and, and just read those first, uh, those first few verses. Because this genealogy, genealogy obviously ends with Jesus, but he begins with Abraham. So verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here it is. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Right, And Judah and his brothers, one of his brothers, is Joseph. Joseph is quite a big portion of the end of Genesis. So, so there we go. There's your hyperlink. There's your little you know, click uh, uh, forward and backwards, you know, seeing how they are connected. And, and I want to encourage you... Um, to, you know, to be familiar with this, um, to, to, to know that, you know, Abraham fathered Isaac. And the story around that is that initially he doubted and there was another son firstborn. There was Ishmael where he took matters into his own hands, doubted God's promise that he will be fruitful, that his descendants, he had no descendants. We'll read that in a moment. Um, and, and so to know that there was Ishmael and Isaac and, and, and Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And, and to know that Jacob's story uh, is, is also a dark one. You know, Jacob tricked his, his brother. Uh, Jacob ultimately is also one who wrestled with God. And there God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Right. So Jacob slash Israel, same person. Um, and so there you go. Okay, Israel, that's the beginning of that nation. Yeah. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve sons. And then you look, you see those twelve sons are the twelve tribes of, of the nation of Israel. And of course, when you hear the word twelve, you think you have to go for, you know, fast forward to the New Testament, you think Jesus with 12 men, you know, walked the, the land, possessed the land, you know, teaching the kingdom of God. It must make you think about these 12 tribes that possessed the land. Ultimately, that was promised to Abraham. This, this promise that God made to Abraham, it will keep coming up and it'll, it'll crop up all over the Old Testament. It's so important to know that. And, um, and, uh, and of course, before we, we, we look at these promises, uh, I, I want to just stop because if some of you did read Genesis this week, good, good boys and girls, um, you probably came across some really dark chapters that perhaps described, uh, you know, just some of the, the things that these patriarchs did. Fancy word for these fathers of a of, of faith um, or the circumstances around them. Maybe some of the horrible things that happened in Genesis 1 to 11. And, uh, and, and it, it may have, you know, created some uneasiness in you. I hope it did. I honestly do. If it didn't, then maybe there's something wrong with you. And, and we have to just stop for a moment and go, well, how do we make sense of some of the stuff that we, we read? And we go, man, this is, this is not right. You know, many people say because that's in the scriptures, there's a sense that God, uh, you know, sanctions it, that God, God uh, uh, is affirming of, 
of some of the, the atrocities that we read about there. And, you know, we have to stop and go, this book is narrative, ultimately. It's telling a story. It's reporting something. And you have to understand how narrative works to make sense of the very vivid, broken picture that Genesis is painting in terms of man's rebellion against God and what life looks like when you rebel against him. The only way to make sense of it is to understand that this is narrative. You know, there's, there's a moment before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness. It, it says that the outcry has reached the Lord. What was that outcry? Many scholars say it was the injustice and immorality and, and the, 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 the brokenness as a result of people rebelling against God. That, that, you know, in a sense, reached the ears of God, and he had to deal with that. There was so much brokenness. And when the Bible talks about and describes some of those things that happens, it assumes that you would make up your mind. It, is, it assumes that you, to some extent, can figure it out. You go, wait a minute, this is not right. It just tells it like it is. None of you would uh, expect a news reporter to, at the end of every report of something that went wrong, to, to go, just so that all of our listeners know what was happening over here. This murder that took place, this theft that took place, it's not right. You shouldn't do this at home, children. You know, or, or, or listeners, no news reports that does that because they just tell the story as it is, trusting that you as a listener, as somebody hearing it would go, yeah, that, that's wrong. And, and Genesis in many ways is doing the same thing. It, it, it's telling the story. It's very honest about brokenness so that you could go, there's a problem and it needs fixing, which I trust you would have. And another crazy thing about these stories is that it, it also shows that it's not as simple as saying there's bad people and there's good people. It's not that easy. You know, even the patriarchs, as we read about these people who are, who are you know, heroes of the faith in many ways, they're not painted as heroes. And in fact, to, to read the stories like that is to miss the hero of the story, which is God, who's always gracious and merciful in spite of the brokenness. And so when we read these things, we realize I'm a villain too. I'm a, I'm a bad person too. It's not like, oh, here's a line. Everybody on this right, bad people. Everybody on... My left, good people. So one scholar said, no, the line actually runs right down the middle of our hearts. That we are the ones that's capable of great things, but also capable of terrible things. That's why it's so vivid. That's why it's so honest. So we can come to terms with our need for a savior and humanity's need for a savior. And so, you know, you see a lot of death. And, and you can often focus on that and going, why do people die? But I want you to not forget that the judgment pronounced for sin and rebelling against God in the beginning in Genesis 3 was that you will surely die if you disobey God. And so however death comes about, sometimes we read and we go, how could it happen that way? The fact is that the people die. We mustn't forget that that in itself shows that sin is at, at work and the consequences for sin is, is proof of that death. However people die, just or unjust, or, death itself is a pointer that sin is here. Sin is here, and we need a savior. Okay, so I just wanted to stop there, you know, put a pin in that reality, um, and then now we can move on to the covenant promises. There's, of course, so many types and shadows of Jesus as well. And the covenant promise is something that is, in a sense, aiming, and it, it, it's fulfilled in, in the work of Jesus. But there's a lots of other types and shadows, you know, little little moments, little encounters that you, you, can, you can tell the Jesus story around. And I don't have time to go into those. That's not what the focus for today is. Um, I want to just focus on the covenant, the promises that God made. Um, and so, as I mentioned, uh, the, the patriarchs are not the heroes. God's the hero. Um, and uh, you can see for yourself things that Ab Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did that uh, weren't that great. But I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is where that first promise was made, right after they sinned. I think the theological term for this is the Proto-Evangelion, which is like the, 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 the first gospel. Um, and this is uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is God actually judging the serpent, judging the snake, judging Satan. And he says, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Or, or another, another word can say seed. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. And right there in chapter 3, there's this promise that the seed, the offspring of Eve, will one day uh, crush the serpent's head. But at the same time, the serpent will strike at the heel. So there's, there'll be like, uh, and, and, and we can kind of make sense of that when we fast forward to Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of that. He is the seed that this is speaking of. That in the cross, it seemed like he got, he got striked. But actually in the cross, he dealt a death blow also on to Jesus. And so that, that's the first promise that we see here. And then, then when we go to Genesis um, chapter 12, we just read there about this promise that God makes to Abraham, which is connected to this one. And I want us to forward to Genesis 15, if you can. Genesis 15, you'll see that this promise made in Genesis chapter 3 uh, gets repeated to Abraham over and over again. God is like underlining. He's like saying, you can trust me, you know. And so, he, you know, one bit, there's a sign of the covenant. Another bit, there's an oath that God swears. But he just keeps repeating it. So Genesis 15, verses 3 to 6. Read with me if you can. You know, Abraham is like saying, yeah, it's this, you know, it's, it's the seed that, that, I've, that I've been hearing about. Where, where is it? Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, all right, he's, he's there, you know, uh, speaking about um, Ishmael. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it, it to him as righteousness. We'll get to that verse 6 in a moment. But here is that promise that God made again, reiterating Genesis chapter 12. Let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 3 to 7 there. The same thing. It says, Abraham fell on his face. face. <laughs> and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now remember, here, Abraham has not had the son yet, okay? He's heard the promise twice now, but no, no child. Sarah, barren, you know, no, no children from the two of them. His wife is barren. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, can you imagine the faith that Abraham needed to have to walk around as a childless, you know, from his wife, Sarah, person declaring to people, I am the father of many nations, when at that stage he doesn't have an heir. So again, you go back to Genesis 15, where it says he believed God, had pleased God. He said he credited to him as righteousness. He was a man of faith. So he, God changes his name as a declaration, saying, I'm going to keep my promise. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be your God. You see this word offspring come, comes up again and this promise that God made making to this man saying it will happen. And uh, I'd like for us to just fast forward right to the end. Genesis 49. Um, this promise that, that uh, is made, okay? And uh, I think we are going to get to, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how this promise to Abraham, Abraham was uh, uh, reiterated to Abraham's son, you know, Isaac, and reiterated to Isaac's son, J Jacob. So God kept saying, I promised Abraham, you're part of that promise, and, and, and so it goes, okay? But Genesis 49, verses 8 to 12. This is what's so amazing about the seed, okay? As you, as you keep reading Genesis, you know, you go like we did from Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, and then what we'll see later. The, the writer here is making the identity of this seed clearer and clearer. All right, it's coming into focus. And I want you to think about like a camera, Okay. Now, I know Toby is actually our, you know, resident photographer and a few other people. So I'm probably going to butcher this illustration. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, cameras have lenses. 
so often I pick up a camera, especially this one we're even filming on right here, and I'm like, there's nothing on screen. And you go, oh, the cap's on. Okay, oops. <laughs> you take the cap off, okay? And then things are still a little blurry. Sometimes it's because there's smudging or something. So then you've got to wipe the little lens, okay? And things get a little clearer, but not quite as clear as it should be. Then you grab the lens and you start to turn it. And all of a sudden, the object becomes more and more focused, more and more central. And eventually you find yourself with this vivid, crisp picture. This is what the writer of Genesis and what we will see as the books continue on is doing is there's this initial declaration of the seed, the offspring, and then the promise to Abraham. And as you keep, and we're going to get to Genesis 49 right now, verses 8 to 12, you find yourself with a crisper picture in 49 than you had in chapter 3. You, but you, you've got to keep reading, right? You've got to keep uh, finding the thread. You've got to keep remembering the connections. So verses 8 to 12 here is actually where Jacob, okay, Israel, is blessing his 12 sons. And then, then he, one of his sons is Judah. And this is what that blessing sounds like to him. He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That's, it kind of sounds a little bit like, you know, serpent crushing head. I don't know. It sounds like there's some victory in there. Your hand be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter, which is what a king has, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience, obedience of the peoples or the nations. And, and uh, you know, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. When we get to this section here, this prophecy echoes. And of course, we have the full story. We, can, we know that Jesus is called the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But by this stage, when you get here, the readers know, okay, this offspring, we, you, you know, as you read, you might think it could be Joseph because there's quite a bit about Joseph. But then you get to Jacob's prophecy. And you go, no, it's got to be Judah. You know, this thing of a, a, a kingdom that, that will not end. We know that's what's prophesied about Jesus, even later in Isaiah. Um, uh, the ruler's staff that he has. Uh, you know, all this imagery of wine and his blood, the blood of grapes. I mean, there's a sense that it's coming into focus. Like by, by the end of Genesis, we, we have our eyes on the tribe of Judah. There's a sense that I think, I think something's happening over here. That is what... The, the covenants, these promises are leading us to. And so Genesis, in many ways, is a story about faith. We know it, it took great courage and faith for Abraham to say, I'm not Abraham anymore. I'm Abraham, father of many nations. And everyone's like, you don't even have a son. It took faith. And Genesis 15, 6, when we read there, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Friends, that. That, that idea is developed in Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament, saying that that actually wasn't Abraham's works. Because as you read, you realize Abraham's a, it's a loser in many ways. He lies about his wife. He teaches his son Isaac to do the same thing. It's like it's terrible. He, he, he's not a guy that you can say based on how he lives. He, he should be you know, given these promises. But it's his faith in a God who keeps his promises. And justification by faith is actually introduced right there in Genesis chapter 15. Something that you and I depend entirely upon as Christians. Saying we are justified by faith alone. It began in Genesis 15. Isn't that incredible? And even that was the case with Eve. You know, Eve's two sons, Abel and Cain, killed it. You know, Cain killed Abel. Abel's dead. Cain is exiled. She's like, well, what about this promise? And then there's Seth. And the way she names Seth, it, she, she names it looking back at the promise God gave her that an, an, her offspring will one day crush the enemy. And so she is a person of faith in that moment as she names Seth. And it says from then onwards, the people near you know, Seth's line call, began to call on the name of the Lord. You see just faith all over the book of Genesis as well. Stunning displays of those faith moments. And you think about Abraham when he was asked finally, when he had given Isaac. I mean, they, him and his wife, 100 years old. It's a miracle, okay? 
The, yeah, the offspring has arrived. He trusted God that he would have a son. God says, sacrifice the son. <laughs> what an incredible display on, of faith that, that God will provide. That was what he, he walked up the mountain to. He said, don't worry, my son. He's like, where's, where's, the, where's the lamb? Where's the, where's the offering? He's like, God will provide. Incredible faith. We see him. And of course, um, we, we, we know that uh, he had real doubt as well. You know, Ishmael is, is a sign of, of how Abraham doubted. So it hinges more, these promises, on God's faithfulness necessary than on the faith of these people, you know, the faith of Abraham. And that's why God provided a substitute. God provided a substitute in Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 22, which points to the substitute Jesus, you know, that he provided. Like, I mean, th- that whole story, there's so much Jesus there, there's no ways we can get into that. But again, there's God's faithfulness coming through. Our faith in God's faithfulness. Our faith in God's promises. Because um, in Genesis 22, it's there that God basically says, he says, I swear by myself. I mean, I'm going to read that to you. You can turn if you want to. Genesis chapter 22, verses uh, 16 to 18. As a, as Abraham displayed his faith in God's promise. Verse 16 to 18 says this. By myself I have sworn. And so there's a sense of God saying, look, like who's trustworthy that I can swear this promise by? Just me, okay? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. And there's the echoing words that we know that God did not withhold his son, his only son, Jesus, okay? Those connections should fire off right now. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And again, friends, as you read all the nations of the earth, you have to stop for a moment and go, is my name in there? The answer is yes, your name is in there. You're you're part of all the nations of the earth. And so God here swears by himself. And later in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer there develops that idea a little bit more that God swore. And so again, this is like God is the hero of the story. He's the one that keeps his promises, even though people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob doubt and sin. God says, I swear by myself, this promise I made, I will stick it through. And so let's read Genesis 26, 3 to 5. I hope you're tracking with me. Uh, this is the promise to Isaac, uh, Isaac. Okay, so he promised to Abraham, but now he tells his children too. Genesis uh, 20, uh, 26, verses 3 to 5. He says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Remember, this is to Isaac, not to Abraham. And to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath. That's what we just heard about in Genesis 22. God says, I swear, I make an oath by myself. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven uh, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There we go. Don't worry, Isaac. I promised your daddy it's going to be the case. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 28. Now he's speaking to Jacob, Isaac's son. All right, Genesis 28, verses 12 to 13. He says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, okay, Jacob had a dream. And in the dream, God says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Man, this is great. Saying it to Jacob, you can find the same promise in Genesis chapter 35. To Jacob again, God's underlining it. Verse 10 to 12 says this. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, there you find yourself the connection to the Genesis uh, 2 mandate. As well as the Genesis 6 mandate to Noah. Here we find again, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So there's that uh, promise to Jacob again. And that's why 
at the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, you, you, this phrase is introduced. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In chapter 50, verse 24. That you will see crop up again in the Old Testament. Because God has made his promise to Abraham. He confirmed it to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob. And so from then onwards, you know, Yahweh, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That story kicks off there. Right, so that's what I want to talk about, the promises. And I want you to keep the covenant promise in the back of your head as we just end off by asking this question about Joseph. Because if you did read the book of Genesis, you'd figure out that from about Genesis 37, okay, he's introduced a little earlier when he's born, but Genesis 37 onwards, Joseph is a major player in the book of Genesis. So what is going on here? Because so often it's a book people love to preach on, all right? And you might think it's a bit of a sideshow here. Vic said, you know, Judah is kind of the guy that, you know, things would continue on through. So what's going on here? And, uh, you know, people pull lots of great moral principles from the book of Joseph. Oh, not book of Joseph, from the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And, uh, you know, stuff like don't be proud, you know, don't like go to your brother saying, oh, I'm better than you. My daddy loves me more than you do. Look at my nice coat. You don't have one, you know. You're all going to serve me. Like, we can go there, uh, you know, or stick out in hardships. You know, he's thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and eventually found himself, you know, wrongly accused and he's in prison. And, you know, the moral of the story could be just stick it out, you know, just just trust the Lord and, uh, you know, things eventually will turn around for your good or or, or, or run from sin, you know, as, as, uh, as um, um, you know, Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him. He just ran away. You know, maybe that's the moral, like run away from, from sin, you know. You know, you could probably pull a few of those things out, but there's a lot of significance in the gospel of, uh, in, in, the, in the story of Joseph when it comes to the gospel. And again, don't have much time to get into it, but think about the analogies. He's betrayed by his brothers, you know, and Jesus, in a sense, is betrayed by his own countrymen, you know, kissed on the cheek by one of his very own disciples. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Joseph, you know, rises up out of this pit of, of slavery, you know, all the way to, uh, to, to victory, you know, prime minister in a sense. And we can think about Jesus, you know, going into the grave for us and being resurrected. And, and uh, right at the end, we'll read that verse as a closing. It talks about what God meant for evil, what you as humans, brothers, meant for evil, God meant for good. And, of course, we know that's the cross, you know, like this, this, the, horror, most, the worst crime in the history is killing Jesus result actually in the saving of the whole world. Um, but one beautiful one is actually chapter 44, where, where right at the end of the story, almost um, uh, uh, the, the, um, one of the, the, the youngest son of, um, of, uh, of, of Jacob uh, is, is, you know, he's already, Jacob th- thought he lost, um, he lost Joseph. And, uh, and, and so he's got his youngest son, I, I think it's Reuben, right? You guys want to help me, hey? Benjamin, Benjamin sorry, thank you. And, um, Joseph hasn't revealed his identity yet, you know, to these brothers that betrayed him. And, uh, and um, he, he wants to keep his youngest brother back so that he could get, you know, his father out. And, um, and Judah says, rather take me. He says this beautiful statement, you know, like, actually, like, it's going to hurt my dad. I'll take his place. And again, there's Judah that this prophecy was made in Genesis 50 about through him, the line will come, who foreshadows Jesus, who said, take my place, you know, so that so that uh, uh, others wouldn't, wouldn't die. Beautiful. So there's some real gospel implications in the story of Joseph. But I want to make those connections to the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that I've majored on so much today. And, uh, and I want you to think about the things that God said and the story of Joseph. When God said to Abraham and, and, and his sons, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Think about Pharaoh who, who blesses Joseph. And as a result... You know, the nations of the world's blessed because of what Joseph did. Remember, there was a great famine and he was super, super smart and he stored things up and, and ultimately uh, saved many nations who were, were in, in desperate need for food. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a sense that because Pharaoh blessed Joseph, the nations were blessed. Um, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the story where Joseph, in a sense, feeds the world during that famine. And of course, it points to, you know, ultimately Jesus feeding the world. You know, we feed on him in our hearts by faith as he's the living water and the bread of life. You know? um, but that promise was kept in Joseph's life uh, uh, the, the, where God says, I will give you this land. Your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. Like Joseph believed that so much that he said, I might die in Egypt, but you take my bones back to the land that God promised me. You know, 
So that, that promise was still very much a part of his life. And then in the end, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. That's one of the promises God made to Abraham. You just see what happened to the nation of Israel in Egypt. Okay, we'll pick that story up next week in Exodus. But they did multiply greatly. God made them into a great strong nation that he eventually uh, uh, delivered. It's quite amazing. God actually promised what would happen between the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next book, Exodus. He prophesied that to, to Abraham in Genesis 15. We said to him, there's going to be this, this strange season where your offspring is going to be in, in slavery, but don't worry, I'll deliver them. It's, it's amazing, actually, if you see that. And so, yeah, that happened. God multiplied them greatly in the land of Egypt, Egypt before he liberated them. So let's read the last verse for this morning. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. Many believe that actually this is almost the point of Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 19 to 21 goes like this. But Joseph said to them, you know, when his, his brothers obviously felt really bad and for betraying him and, you know, were groveling. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I love that. This is in many ways the, the story of Genesis. Is that what humans intend for evil? God and his sovereignty you know, turns it around for good. God and his sovereignty uh, means it for good and brings about, uh, you know, even though there's so much evil and brokenness, he brings about his purposes that many should be kept alive and to be saved. Isn't that amazing? And, and we see that actually... God speaks kindly and tenderly so often to people who do not deserve it all the way through Genesis. So, you know, I, I don't know if you grew up in the church, but I, I, um, I became a Christian later in my high school years. But I remember going, being taken to Sunday school and this song was always being sung, you know, Father Abraham. You guys know that song? Some of you do. Father Abraham had many sons, you know, and you do a funny action. Many sons had Father Abraham. What does it say? It says, I am one of them. There you go. I'm hearing Courtney sing. That, that, you know, we get to the end here. And I know I majored on this promise, but, but that song, as basic uh, is, and cute, whatever it may be, it's true. You and I are a part of these promises. You and I are part of Abraham's offspring. When you go to Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 9, Paul fleshes that out again, saying just like he had faith and he was therefore, you know, you, know, we, you and I as, as having faith, we are children of Abraham in that sense, you know. It's, it's, I want you to see that actually in all these promises made to these people in history, you were written into that story as a result of Jesus ultimately coming, being that seed, being that offspring. Fulfilling that promise from the line of Judah, being the king of kings and the Lord of lords and you being adopted into his family as a result of believing what he did for you in your place. The way that uh, Judah modeled it and the way that it was modeled on, the, on that mountain where Abraham nearly sacrificed his son, but God provided uh, a lamb. Uh, in the way that Abraham trusted in the son that God promised to him, you and I trust in the son of God that was not only promised, but fulfilled that came. It lived our life, died our death. Friends, I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. I think is how the song ends, right? And then it starts again with another limb. So just as Jesus, uh, uh, or as God you know, commissioned Abraham, friends, Jesus does commission us the same way as Abraham's offspring to go into all the world, to be fruitful and to multiply, to actually continue that blessing on. I want you to think about yourself as a part of that great and grand story. That is, we see the beginnings of in the book of Genesis. Okay, I know that was a lot to cover. Let's see if we can do better next week. But you did great at listening.